If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to James chapter 5. We just have today and next week two final messages from the book of James. Our series is entitled, we'll bring it up here, um, A Faith That Works. A Faith That Works. And um, this morning we're in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You're going to see at least the first part of it is pretty rough stuff, okay? And then um, some words of encouragement and instruction. But James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, James writes this to the church. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. I made sure I Venmoed the guy who mowed my lawn yesterday. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent who is not, the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. For the Lord, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray you would give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak to us today, and, and that you would help us to be ready to receive your word deep into our hearts and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we've been going through the book of, of James, we've been asking and answering the question, what does real faith look like? And I know I'm repeating myself each week when I this little introduction, but it's important to keep us all on the same track and for those who are new. And so does it mean, what does it mean to have real faith? That is a faith that saves, a faith that works. And you see, James, throughout his letter, is calling us, excuse me, to back up our words of faith. That is our claim of faith in Jesus, our claim to have been born again. Get all up with a lifestyle that reflects our faith and the work of Christ within us. As we've said, James has been making the faith that works is a faith that works. And today we will see that real faith such that it causes the believer to look ahead and to prepare for that day that the Bible calls the day of the Lord. That is the end of time, the coming of God, the coming of our Lord to this earth. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets refer to God's coming in the end of time as the day of the Lord. For them, for them, this would be both a day of judgment and of salvation. It would be a day of judgment, you see, for those who refuse to submit to God, for those who have lived evil lives, for those who insisted on coming against God's people. It would mean judgment even for those among God's people who refuse to live according to righteousness. 
But that day would mean salvation and justice for those who found themselves suffering at the hands of evil men, for those who would continue to trust God and live for God, even in the midst of evil and hardship. It would mean salvation for those who in faith would call upon the name of the Lord. You see, Joel writes in, in his in in his prophecy, Joel 2, he writes, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Obadiah wrote, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done for you. Your deeds will return upon your head. Zephaniah wrote this, The great day of the Lord is near, near and quickly coming. On the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. And so we see the Old Testament prophets, they speak of this day, the day of the Lord. And then we find Testament writers, they pick up on that phrase as they write about the second coming of Christ when Jesus Christ comes in all of his glory to set up his kingdom and put our world back in order when the end of time comes. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Or Peter writes in his epistle, but the day of the Lord will come like a th the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You see, the day of the Lord is that day at the end of all time when Christ himself will send in the clouds and will come to judge the wicked and reward those who have lived their lives according to faith. The day of the Lord is both a time of great judgment upon the earth as well as for God's people. You see, this is exactly what we see here in James chapter 5. As James writes about the rich oppressors and to the mostly poor believers who are suffering and being oppressed. He's writing to his scattered flock, if you remember. As we saw in his flock that was facing trials, he writes, trials of many kinds. And James is writing like an Old Testament prophet bringing a strong word against those who refuse to submit to God. But more than that, he's writing to bring encouragement to the believers and remind them that their faith in Jesus Christ, it was not in vain. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not in vain. Can you say amen? Let me say this. James is not writing about social justice, as we call it today or to bring about some sort of societal structural changes. And although there may be a time and place to talk about those things, we ought not pin them on James, for that was not his purpose. But rather, he was writing for the sake of believers who found themselves oppressed and who may have wondered whether or not it was worth living a life of faith. I think he was writing to believers like those in Nigeria suffering at the hands of a radical Muslim force. Or maybe believers in China suffering at the hands of their government. Or, 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 or to believers in parts of the world and throughout history who have found themselves suffering at the hands of the guys who've had the money and the power and maybe even the guns. After all, it's human nature to begin to think that if the bad guys are winning, maybe we ought to join them. If the good guys always come out behind, well, maybe it's not worth being so good. If God's people are the ones always suffering, then maybe we ought to switch teams. After all, who wants to be part of a people who are 
living their lives in poverty and suffering? Who wants to be part of the team that seems to be always losing? But you see, James, James gives to us a little bit of perspective, a little perspective to us as he points us towards the day of the Lord. And he begins with a warning to the rich oppressors. And again, he's writing like an Old Testament prophet, pronouncing the coming judgment that will fall upon these whom he describes as you rich people or just simply you rich, you rich. And he says, listen, weep and wail or weep and and howl. Notice he's not calling them to weep tears of repentance, but rather he's raising a red flag for them regarding what's coming. He sounds like the prophet Isaiah who wrote in Isaiah 13, well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty or like Amos who wrote in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs of the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. James says, weep and wail. Why? Because misery is coming. You see, for these people, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of great misery, for it will mean judgment from God. In fact, the word misery there is is actually in the original language. It's in the plural. But the thought is this, that God's people were facing all kinds of trials at the hands of these oppressors. But one day, these rich people are going to face all kinds of miseries from the hand of God himself. James goes on to describe their wealth. Their wealth is rotted. It's corroded. Moths have eaten their clothes. But he sounds just like Jesus, doesn't he? From Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, listen, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. James says your, your wealth, all your wealth is just rotted, it's corroded. He, he says, and all of that is going to testify against you and eat your flesh. Oh, boy. How do you like those words? See, it's a picture of their corroded wealth giving evidence to the fact that these people have lived their lives for the sake of mere wealth and their own pleasure. That it will be their own corroded wealth. Everything they've worked so hard for, everything they focused on, everything they placed so much stock in, it would be this wealth that would stand as witnesses against them before God at the judgment seat of God. It's almost like, like there's this courtroom scene and God is the judge and they're corroded with gold with, and silver with rust on it and, 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 and clothing that's been, been eaten by moths and maybe, maybe jewelry that's just like tarnished and falling apart. They begin to, they themselves begin to cry out, listen, I can testify what you have lived for because I'm what you made your God. I'm the reason for your evil scheming and why it was you neglected the needy among you. Why it was you lived your life the way you lived. James goes on to say you've hoarded your wealth in the last days. That is, imagine just as time was winding down and the day of the Lord was drawing near. These people have spent their lives in uncontrollable greed even at the expense of those in need around them. Man, that sounds like a word for our world today, does it not? 
he lists three crimes here. In verse 4, he lists the crime of unpaid wages. Remember that back in, especially in James' day, most people lived day to day, hand to mouth. And should they not get paid for a day, it could mean that they and their family would not eat that day. The Old Testament prophets refer to this very same sin. But James says, listen, God sees and God's here and God hears that he says the unpaid wages are crying out against them. Another witness comes to the comes into the courtroom, these unpaid wages. But most especially, James says, and don't forget that the cries of those who have gone unpaid have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. God hears them. God's not deaf to their cries. Crime number two, verse five, he says, and you've lived your life in luxury and self-indulgence. That is, while others are suffering and just trying to find a way to feed their families, you're taking more and more for yourselves. You're getting all you can at the expense of others. You're living in your mansions, going on your expensive vacations. You're buying your gold and diamonds and suits that cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. You're driving your, your, your fancy cars, we might say, while, while, uh, while the other people, the people who work for you are just trying trying to scrape together just a few dollars to buy a loaf of bread. In fact, he says, you know, as you live your life in luxury and self-indulgence, you're fattening yourself, fattening yourself in the day of slaughter. It's another Old Testament image. But Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 12, 3, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Amos pronounces judgment on, listen to this, he pronounces judgment on the cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. I don't know any women who want to be called a cow of Bashan, you know? But you see, James, like the prophets, compares these rich oppressors to cattle being fattened up. The food's being put out before them. They're eating and they're eating and they're eating and they're getting some fatter and fatter. What are they doing? They're actually preparing themselves for the slaughterhouse and they don't even know it. Crime number three in verse six, you've condemned and murdered innocent men. And it could be that some of these rich oppressors had literally dragged innocent men into court and had them condemned and killed. We see, we see that in the New Testament. It happened to Jesus, did it not? It happened to Stephen. But it also could be that on a metaphorical level, that is not literally, James is using these very harsh words to describe the kind of suffering that these, these people have caused. In other words, they've been the cause of great suffering and pain and even death for innocent and defensive people, people who didn't have the means to fight back. In fact, it literally says the righteous person, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. That is, you've come against people who, who are living the way God would have them to live, coming against people who are trying to walk a walk of faith and live a righteous life, but they're also people who cannot and they do not fight back. In other words, it's an unfair battle. It's an unjust battle. You know, as I was going through all of this, and, you know, it's, 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 it's hard stuff, isn't it? I'm glad it's not my words. It's, you know, James' words coming through the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit through James. But I was thinking about, well, my mind went to what we know as the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. It took place March 25th, 1911. Anybody remember that? Know that piece of history? Just one or two, right? It was the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of New York City. 
and one of the deadliest in U.S. history. The fire caused the deaths of 146 garment workers, 123 women and girls, 23 men, right, who died from the fire, smoke, inhalation, or falling or jumping to their deaths. Most of the victims were recent Italian or Jewish immigrant women, girls ages 14 through 23. You see, because the doors to the stairwells and exits were locked to prevent workers from taking unauthorized breaks and to reduce theft, many of the workers could not escape from the burning building and jumped from the high windows. William Gunn Shepherd, a reporter at the, at the tragedy, would say, I learned a new sound that day, a sound more horrible than description can picture, the thud of a speeding living body on a stone sidewalk. Of course, we heard that sound again, 9-11, did we not? The fire led to legislation requiring improved factory safety standards, helped spur the growth of the International Ladies Garment, Garment Workers Union, which fought for better working conditions for sweatshop workers. But here's the thing we need to remember, that this fire occurred during a time when workers were already asking for and fighting for better and safer, safer working conditions. They knew something was wrong. But the owners, the rich owners, were deaf to the cries of their workers who were almost all these workers, again, almost all new immigrants with little to no power. And rather than what was doing what was right for their workers, they allowed the bottom line to drive them, and the result was a fire such as this one. You see, why does this come to my mind? Because, you see, my great-grandmother, my mother's grandmother, worked there. And by God's divine protection and his providence, for the first time ever in the year or two that she worked there, that day she missed work due to illness, and thus her life was spared. See, in the end, the owners basically got a slap on the wrist from the courts. But I wonder, and here's my point, I wonder what it will be like for them on the day of the Lord. You see, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes on Judgment Day. You see, James is writing about people who have allowed the bottom line of their businesses, their own luxury and pleasure, to become the motivating factor in all they do. He's describing what we might call, and don't take this the wrong way, but he's describing what we might call capitalism gone astray. But listen, every economic and political system is wrought with dangers, the dangers that come when sin creeps in. And when we allow our sinful tendencies towards greed and self-indulgence to bring harm to others, we're setting ourselves up for judgment. And God forbid that any one of us would be found in this first group of people to whom James was writing. For people such as these, the day of the Lord is going to be a terrible day. Not something to look forward to. It's going to be a terrible day. Well, let's get to the second part. Verses 7 through 12, where James brings hope and encouragement for the oppressed. And he writes, brothers. Notice he changes the direction. Previously, his words were kind of out there. You rich. Who rich? Well, you rich people who are oppressing others. But now he changes direction. Listen, brothers, believers, 
For James knew that these believers were, were those who were often experiencing suffering and pain at the hands of those whom he just described. This was a church of the godly poor, those who were trying to trust God and maintain their faith in Jesus, even while suffering at the hands of the rich. And so James says, listen, brothers, be patient or be long-suffering. The word means don't be quick to retaliate. In essence, he's saying to them, use self-restraint as you wait patiently. You don't need to get even. Just hold on to your hope, the hope that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Hold on to that hope, he says, until the Lord's coming. And he reminds them at that moment, listen, the day of the Lord is coming when not only will the wicked, these oppressors, be judged, but it's also the day when you, the righteous, will receive your reward of faith. And he gives three illustrations. First, there's the farmer, and the farmer does his part to plow the field and plant the seed. But then what does he do? He just has to patiently wait. He waits for the seed to grow. He can't force the seed to grow. He can't make the rains come. All he can do is patiently wait. And so, too, we as believers, we, we patiently wait, standing firm in our hope and faith, knowing that the Lord is coming, and that on that day, he will make all things right. In fact, in verse 9, he gives a, almost like he interjects a little, little exhortation there. He says, and listen, brothers, don't grumble against each other or you'll be judged. The judge is at the door, right? In other words, he's warning the believers in the midst of all of this, you know, hard things happen. And what happens, the pressure is coming in and we begin to turn on each other. He says, don't allow the pressures to divide you, to create bitterness, resentment, and negative feelings. After all, we too are going to face the judgment seat of God. And then illustration number two is the prophets. After all, prophets, we can think of like Jeremiah, for example, though they were righteous men, they faced great persecution and suffering, even at the hands of their own countrymen. And yet they held on to their hope. They held on to their faith and continued, James says, to speak in the name of the Lord. Illustration number three is Job. And Job becomes an example of perseverance. Perseverance, what's that? That's patience in action. God rewarded Job for not giving up his faith, for persevering in his faith through all of his sufferings. It reminds me of James' words back in chapter 1, James 1.12, where he writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Maybe someone needs to take hold of that promise today. And then James gives a final note. It's, only, it's almost like he says, so remember, don't forget, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Do you believe that today, church? The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We think of, of, of God's revelation to, to Moses. Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love or mercy and faithfulness. Do you know that's the most requoted verse within the scriptures? It's given in Exodus 34, and we, we read it, we hear it again throughout all of scripture. James says, listen, remember, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In other words, he's saying this. I believe he's saying this. Listen, Listen, believers, listen, church, the people around you may not show you compassion or mercy. 
In fact, you might find yourselves at the hands of people who are anything but compassionate and merciful. You might even find yourself suffering at the hands of wicked men. But you can know that the God of heaven and earth, he sees you and he hears your cries. And when he comes, he will be the one to vindicate you. For he will be the one to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. So hold on to your hope. Stand firm in your faith. Persevere in your faith. And know that the day of the Lord is on its way. The day of the Lord is on its way. Listen, church, with everything we see happening in our world, with all of the wickedness, with all of the oppression, with the wars and, 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 and just, just the way things have, are going so wrong sometimes, we need to understand the day of the Lord is on its way. And God will be the one who will judge the wicked and who will reward the righteous. And so we cry out as the... Scripture teaches us too, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. You see, Jesus said this in Luke 18. Listen to what Jesus says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then Jesus asks, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find real faith? A faith that works, a faith that, that continues to hold on and to trust him, even in the midst of suffering? Listen, church, time is winding down. We know it well, do we not? Time is winding down. The day of the Lord is coming, and Jesus will return on the clouds of glory. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. It could be after our lifetime, but we know we're getting closer and closer. And Jesus will return on the clouds of glory. And on that day, it will not be so much about who is rich or poor, but about our hearts and how it is we are living, whether or not we are living true lives of faith. For Jesus is coming for a people who not only profess faith, but those who actually live out their faith. You know what that means? Listen, if you're rich, most of us, you're, oh, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I can't afford a yacht or, you know, whatever, you know. But let me just remind us that according to, if you look at history and the majority of peoples in the world, we who live here in the U.S., in this great land that we celebrate today, according to most of the world, we're rich. We have much more than most people throughout history have ever had. If you're rich, James says to us, listen, don't give in to greed, materialism, and self-indulgence, stirring up for yourself treasures on earth. That's a temptation for us today, is it not? to give in to greed, self-indulgence, materialism. But instead, he would say to us, be generous. Be compassionate. Always be ready to help those in need. Put your faith into action by living the way God's called you to live. And if you are poor, even oppressed, don't give in to anger and bitterness or become filled with thoughts of revenge. Instead, trust your life to God. Know that he sees you. He sees what you're facing. The children learned about this this week. He knows you. He hears you. 
He's here to comfort you. He hears your cry, and one day he's going to intervene, and thus in the meantime, wait patiently for that day. Persevere in your faith. Always seek to do what's right in his eyes. Always seek to live according to your faith. The day of the Lord is coming. Do you believe that? The day of the Lord is coming, but I have to ask you, what kind of day will it be for you? Will it be a day of judgment? Or will it be a day of salvation? Listen, some of us can push it off and say, well, I'm not, I don't want to deal with that right now. But the Bible says, listen, don't harden your hearts. For today's the day of salvation. In other words, this is your opportunity to get things right with God so that when he does come, it's not going to be judgment, but it's going to be salvation. And for someone here in this place, someone online, it may be that today's the day that you need to get your life in order. Put your faith in God and put your faith in what he's done for you through his son, Jesus. And say, God, you know what? I want the, the day of the Lord to be my day of salvation, something I can look forward to. And so I give my life to you. I put my faith in you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, all the things I've ever done wrong. And I, and I ask you to help me to live the way you've called me to live. Maybe you've been living according to materialism and greed, and you, you've just walked by those in need. And today's your day to begin to live out your faith, to live the way he's called you to live. Jesus said, listen, when he comes back to this earth, will he find faith? He's, he's not looking in the clouds. He's looking at people, you and me those who will be here, will he find faith on this earth? Will you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I ask you to ask yourself, first of all, what kind of day will it be? What kind of day will it be for you, a day of judgment or a day of salvation? And someone here today, maybe someone online might say, oh, I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but Maybe some would say, oh, yeah, I think it's judgment. But it doesn't have to be that way, and you don't have to be unsure. But you can know that it will be a day of salvation. If you give your life to God through faith in his son, Jesus, and then begin to live according to that faith. And I wonder if there's someone here today, I can't see you online, but I wonder if there's someone here in this sanctuary that we just lift a hand. No one's looking around, but you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know that today I need to get my life in order. I don't want that to be a day of judgment. I really want it to be a day of salvation. So I know I need to get my life in order. I need to begin a li to live a life of faith. Is there someone here this morning? You lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? If you're online with us, you can send in a note in the chat there or through the online connection card. And we'll pray for you. We'll reach out to you this week. Let's pray, Father. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. That although it's sometimes a hard word, that ultimately for those who, those who are living for you, those who are living lives of faith, who put their faith in, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a word of hope. It's a word of encouragement that our world is not going to always be as we see it is. That our world is not going to just kind of 
stop in the midst of, of, of evil and just kind of stay there for eternity. But God, that one day you're going to come, that Jesus, you're going to come and you're going to make all things right, that the kingdom of God is going to be established in full. Right now the kingdom of God is breaking in, but someday it's going to come in full. And Jesus, you're going to reign as king, if, as Lord, and you're going to reward those who have served you, who have lived for you, who have persevered in their faith, those who have endured to the end. God, we want to be those people. We want to be those people. So we say, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? Would you encourage us? Through your word, by your spirit, enable us, God. When, when, when it begins to feel as if the, the wicked are winning, God, God, help us, help us to turn our eyes upward, knowing that our redemption draws near. And so we offer our lives to you today. And God, we don't fear the day of the Lord, but as your people, we look forward to it. We look forward to it. We look forward to being forever in your presence and receiving the reward of our faith. We know that our labor, as your word says, our labor is not in vain. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Come on, church, we just stand. Come on, we just stand. Just lift your hands this morning. Lift your hearts this morning to the Lord. Just say, God. God, I want to be prepared. I want to be ready as I look forward. We cry out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. For we don't fear that day, but as your people, we look forward to that day. And we commit ourselves to living the way you would have us to live until that day. And so we bless you this morning in Jesus' name.